Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor, filling in for your host, Michael Pina. Today, I am Rohan Nakarni, and I'm joined by my good friend, Sports Illustrated senior writer. She says he looks like Usher when he's trapping in the rain. Uh, please welcome Chris Herring uh, to Open Floor. Chris, how's it going, my man? <laughs> what? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm great, man. Dude, you're... I, you're not a fan of Baca not nice? What's up? No love for Baca? <laughs> it's not about not having love, having love. It's, <laughs> it's more that I was caught off guard, but I'm good. Dude, How, that's what I'm going for you? here. I'm good, man. Can I embarrass you for a second? A little bit? Sure. Sure. I just want you to know I've I've been like reading Chris Herring's work for years, going back to your time at 538. I feel like I've been listening to po- you on podcasts for years. Always look forward to when you're on Zach Lowe. And now here I am sitting in the podcast chair across from you. So I'm really excited, man. I'm, I'm, I feel like we've never, I don't think we've done one yet. That's just me and you. And here we go. Get to talk. You're right. We, we, we had one we were supposed to do. And I think something came up. Uh, you and I were going to kind of tag team the, the podcast where we had Mirren Fader on and talk to her mm, about the right. honest book. So. This is cool for me too. I appreciate it. You know, I've got so much respect for the work you do and have for a long time. So it's cool to do this. Um, an incentive for people who listen to this podcast, but maybe don't watch us on YouTube. I think you're going to want to see uh, how Chris's traps look today. I mentioned before we started, it looks like he's been working out. Um, so just a little something for our fans if they want to check us out on YouTube. Uh, speaking of our listeners, Thank you to everyone who engages with this show. Uh, thank you for sending us tweets, DMs, etc. cetera. Uh, we love when people are engaging with the work that we do. So in that spirit, please keep those emails coming. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Uh, we, we love all your emails, guys. So keep them coming. Uh, Chris, there's a ton of stuff we got to get to today. Uh, kind of a, a busy time in the association as they say i want to start i think you and i are both on the same page about this like weird bit of news that came out this morning and that 
I don't think either of us really believe it is something that's going to happen, but uh, Shams Charani of the athletic floating out this morning that the Celtics have maybe been involved in trade talks with the Sixers for Ben Simmons. The Sixers allegedly uh, only want to do the trade if they can get Jalen Brown back uh, in the same way that I only want a wife. If it's Rihanna, Um, what do you, do you think, do you think Pina's life, flashed before his eyes when he saw that there was a potential Jalen Brown for Ben Simmons rumor. Probably mine would. Um, (laughs) But I'm also, I'm also of the exact same opinion that you are that it's very nice to want things in life. (laughs) Nothing wrong with wanting things in life. It doesn't mean you're going to have them. Uh, Certainly. I mean, it would be like walking up to a Tesla dealership and offering them like, I was about to say a $5 bill. That's not fair. Um, you know, for <laughs> a, a car, it doesn't mean you're going to walk out of there with the Tesla. Um, it's like, know, here's my nice car to- that can't go over 50 miles per hour. Give me your Tesla for it. Yeah. Right. It yeah. just isn't going to work that way. And, um, you know, it, it also just, I, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. It, it, it struck me as even silly to have their two names in the same sentence, but mm-hmm. uh, Nikias Duncan, my buddy over at Basketball <laughs> News, he, he, he tweeted that he actually doesn't think it's a bad, like it works for both teams. So like maybe I'm missing an aspect of it because I respect him a great deal. He knows that. Uh, you know, maybe it's, it's almost too simplistic to just say that it makes no sense mm-hmm. for Boston. Um, you know, just kind of apples to apples, oranges to oranges, you know, two plus two equals four. Uh, the way I see it, Jalen Brown's a, a fine defender. He's a fine offensive player. Maybe they do clash a little bit between him and Tatum or the idea that it doesn't leave enough offense for everybody else. And so if you're really, really trying to get away from that and trying to infuse some ball movement in your offense, maybe Simmons makes sense and maybe you don't fall off much or you maybe even improve a little bit on defense. Um, but I, I, I feel like you could potentially get more for him than that. Yeah. I remember when me and Michael were talking about trade possibilities um, for Dame, and I think we, you know, he just kind of gave me a blank slate, and he said, you create whatever trade packages you want to for him. Who would you potentially move, or what would you actually be intrigued by? And I was thinking, like, Boston could potentially get in that conversation with, like, mm-hmm. Jalen and some other pieces for Dame. I mean, I think that's who you would want to – Someone of that caliber you would want to trade before you would talk about Simmons. I think he, he'll be there if you want to get him, you know, for something that expensive, that costly. Exactly. Him. Yeah, to me, the only reason Boston would ever make a trade like this, and again, we don't want to get too deep into it. To me, the only reason Boston would ever make a trade like this is if there's some kind of chemistry thing between Brown and Tatum that we don't necessarily know about, or maybe the front office feels like, one of them is holding the other back, et cetera. But I'm with you. I mean, if you're going to trade Jalen Brown, I think you could do better than Ben Simmons, frankly. I mean, we had Jalen Brown Hank ranked higher than Ben Simmons on our top 100. I think you could get multiple good players back in return for Jalen Brown. Like, if for any reason he was on the trading block, I think you could do a lot better. I will say, you know, a couple years ago, I gave Brad Stevens the nickname The Bhagwan. I don't know if you've seen Wild Wild Country on Netflix or are familiar with Osho, but, uh-huh. you know, Brad's Brad's like their cult leader in Boston, you know, the head of the Democratic People's Republic of Boston. They love him. Uh, (laughs) You know, they'll do whatever Brad says. So I kind of hope he makes the trade just to see the cognitive dissonance of the Boston fans who've been killing Simmons for years uh, to see what our buddy Pina does about it. So I'm rooting for it in in terms of chaos, but 
Uh, I'm with you in terms of, uh, you know, not really uh, a move that makes sense, at least to us on on the court. But, you know, you mentioned Nikaias Duncan. He hosts the Dunker Spot podcast. Um, he's, he's promised a breakdown of why he thinks it works. So we'll have to check that out. I'm going to look at it because, like yeah. I said, I trust him to have an mm-hmm. interesting insight that I haven't even thought about. So if he says that he sees it being potentially smart, then I trust him. Uh, I'm willing I, to hear it out. It's probably not something I would do, but, yeah, I trust him. Uh, Chris, uh, more news that came out late last week, and there's no real easy way to segue about this. Uh, last week on this podcast, you and Mike discussed the Robert Sarver story as it relates to the Suns and, and their toxic workplace culture, alleged, I guess we should say. Um, more allegations now. This was kind of a weird story in the media sense in terms of how it broke. I think it was late Thursday night last week or late one night last week. Uh, the Athletic reporting that the Blazers have launched their own investigation with an outside firm into their general manager, Neil Olshay, and the workplace culture that he's cultivated there. Um, Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports followed up with reporting about more allegations of a toxic workplace culture. Um, obviously the players and coaches have not said much about it. Uh, it. I mean, it sounds trite to just say your thoughts on this, but I'm just curious what your reaction was. It just was kind of a strange story in terms of at least, you know, when it came out and the timing, et cetera. And normally you don't have the teams kind of getting out in front as the way the Blazers did on this one. Yeah, I mean, it, very strange on a lot of different levels. Um, you know, in the, in the same way, it, it's been strange now for each of these stories. The Sarver mm-hmm. one as well, yeah. where um, there was reporting, if you would call it that. I, I wouldn't really call it that. But, you know, there was some stuff floating around about that weeks before. And obviously the Suns put out a preemptive statement about that, which was really odd. And it's like, okay, you're very denying bizarre, something yeah. that hasn't even been written about yet. Which that I've I've seen that happen before, and it you know, uh, shout out to Baxter Holmes for that story. Mm-hmm. But he wrote a story a couple, a year and a half, two years ago, whenever it was on Magic Johnson, and that story kind of dribbled out a little bit too beforehand. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of strange that that happened. Um, where he's writing stories that at some point you have to ask the organization for a response mm-hmm. and stuff is going to get out. Now I say all that to say this. Even Friday morning, and you were part of this text message chain, like some of us were discussing some stuff that I guess not I heard, but within our group, like about the idea that something may be coming down and trying to kind of figure out what each of us knew or how many of us had ties to Portland that we could kind of make use of that to potentially report something. So it was starting to circulate a little bit Friday morning. I think the timing of it was that it came out late Friday night. It's like a really weird Friday news Mm. dump in that sense that it came out like as I was going to bed Friday night. Yeah, it was late on the West Coast. It was very, very late. Um, And so it's hard. And and beyond that, I think what's even stranger about this, I mean, it was one thing for Baxter's story that had all these details and allegations. The Olshay thing, essentially, I mean, you know, I know Shams had it as far as putting something up, but it was, you know, I'm sure most people that clicked the link probably felt kind of... Where uh, the details, what's going on, it was so vague, yeah. It was like a burger with like a bottom bun and a top bun and nothing inside of it. Like there wasn't, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's very bare bones because like all we know is that there's an investigation mm-hmm. that's going to happen, but we don't know anything about why definitively. Again, I think some yeah. of us have kind of heard stuff, but right. we don't know. Uh, exactly yeah, Haynes, what the, Haynes had a little bit more detail. I think in terms of it sounds like a 
a workplace thing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's kind of vague, you know, yeah. anytime you're talking about someone's career, which I certainly <laughs> have been critical of, of Neil O'Shea over the years, but this is a totally different of course. sort of thing. Now, what I will say, um, and I think as much as I can say, um, if it turns out that there's something to this, and it's to the point where he needs to be out of the job or that they remove him from the job because of it. I will say that I already had a lot of concerns and we, you and I've talked about this on the Mm -hmm. podcast, off the podcast about the Chauncey Billups hire. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people obviously had concerns about that. And a lot of people had questions about the way that was done and the idea that, you know, once that became clear that it was happening, Neil Olshay was sitting there in the press conference next to Chauncey, which Twitter has, you know, looked at and parsed ad nauseum at this point about the idea that anytime someone was asking an uncomfortable question about the, you know, the alleged sexual assault that Chauncey was in, that Neil Olshay was grabbing the glass of water and drinking mm-hmm. it, kind of to signal to the PR staff, like, cut off the questions if we start getting mm-hmm. questions like these. That was the way it looked to a lot of people. So I, I, I say all this say all that to say this Neil Olshay basically assured everyone that we did our due diligence on this subject yeah he said trust Trust me me. I'm not going to release the investigation yeah right so where am I going with this I guess what I'm saying is like if if he ends up having real ugly stuff in his closet and it comes out that he had real ugly stuff in his closet and he was leading this search um, and who knows, again, who knows exactly what the investigation is for and the specifics of it. But it, if it turns out that he had ugly stuff in his closet and then he made a hire that was controversial, that people had a lot of questions about how much due diligence did the Blazers actually do on this subject, it has the potential to look way, way, mm-hmm. way worse in a way that, frankly, to me, would be unforgivable. Um, but again, there's so many ifs there that I don't want to right. completely say that you know, that, that it's inappropriate or that it was any more inappropriate. I don't know. There might be nothing to it. Right. And even if I have, you know, even if I've got criticisms of how someone has done their job as far as wins and losses, whether someone deserves to be in that seat anymore, that's fine. I can set that aside. I just want to say that if there's stuff that comes out of it um, and it's, it's real tangible stuff and troubling stuff, like it seems like there might be with the cyber stuff, then it just looks even worse from Portland's standpoint, but it's uh, but there, there's too many ifs there to really pin anything Absolutely. specific. So yeah, I want to make that part clear for sure. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of the Chauncey stuff. Uh, that's something I've, I've had conversations with people outside of this podcast. I mean, it's going to be really, really disconcerting for him to have come out that boldly at that press conference in like a, like he's not aware of the cultural shift that's gone on in this in our society over the last few years to say, no, trust me. And then to have a story like this come out, I, I'll speak broadly here for a second. Forget about Olshay. Forget about even Sarver for a second. First of all, uh, just, you know, I think you and I could agree, like commend the people who are willing to speak up and speak out um, anywhere, uh, you know, against abuse, toxic workplace, et cetera. That's not easy to do. There's a reason why these stories get swept under the rug. Um, it's not easy to speak out against people who have a lot of power, who control your career, et cetera. Sure. Here's what I'll say about the NBA, because some people are saying, you know, is this going to be enough to get Sarver out, et cetera? Can they, you know, are they going to Sterling him, uh, Donald Sterling, get, you know, make himself the team, et cetera? The NBA is in an interesting position here because 
they need to figure out what their line is. They need to figure out what is PR and what is their what are their league values because I think it's fair to say broadly speaking, these issues, these allegations that we're seeing pop up in the NBA, the issues that you know Sports Illustrated has reported on with the Dallas Mavericks, mm-hmm. this isn't an NBA problem. This is a this is the problem with corporate culture in America. This is the problem when you get. Uh, really, really rich people with with ungodly amounts of power. I mean, we see this across our society. Um, you know, we have owners who donate to anti-LGBTQ causes. We have owners with connections to, uh, you know, some of the worst parts of the Trump administration, et cetera. Uh, I mean, look at what the DeVos family has done. Um you know, the league can, let's say the league even kicked out Robert Sarver because they found truth, smoking gun to these allegations, et cetera. Is that going to fix the NBA overnight? Is it going to fix the NBA to get Sarver out and bring in another uh, billionaire, presumably to own the team? Uh, This idea that we can identify the quote unquote bad actors or bad apples. I just don't know how realistic that is. And I'm not saying that that's a reason for the league to, to, you know, kind of, wash their hands of it or throw their hands up and say, Hey, we can't do anything. But I do think there needs to be an awareness that this is corporate culture in America. Frankly, this is why we've seen, you know, whether it's the me too movement or the state of people who feel comfortable coming out, talking about, you know, workplace uh, abuse, toxicity, whatever you want to call it. This is not uh, just unique to the NBA. This is a bigger problem. And I think if the league is, is serious about this, then it really needs to have a, a much bigger discussion than just how do we force out the guy that had the story that's that's too hard to move out from? Because it's not that I think every owner has, you know, maybe the kind of skeletons in their closet that, that Sarver does, but I don't want to get too kind of galaxy brain about this. And I don't think people are going to come to this podcast for a discussion about late stage capitalism or, or whatever, but I, I'll say this. Um, <laughs> there's something we said about, <laughs> there's an argument to be had, and I think it's a conversation that people like you and I probably have amongst our friends, but you look at the Suns, for example, <laughs> this is going to sound kind of like crazy to say, but it's real easy to get rid of the guy who has said the N word when he clearly should not. It's real easy to get rid of that guy. But, you know, if we want to talk about people who are doing like material harm, like ESPN has done a story about the political donations of owners uh, in the NBA. Like, what's the line for the NBA? Like, what are you what are your real values? Because if you are saying we want to stop, we care about social justice, we care about equality, uh, we care about Black Lives Matter, we're going to put it on our jerseys, put it on our courts. I think you you have to have a real conversation about who is doing more material harm. And that's not to say the people who have experienced, you know, the alleged uh, abuse from Robert Sarver, like don't deserve a better workplace. Of course they do. It's just, is it enough to just kick that one guy out? I'm not sure. And I think that's a, a problem the league is going to have to wrestle with eventually, because if it says it's kicking out Robert Sarver for its values, then I think they need to be challenged on what those values are, because there are a lot of people who I think are doing, you could argue are doing even more material harm than him. It's just happening in a, in a much less obvious and explicit way. Yeah. I mean, I I think you hit the nail on the head with um, mentioning the, the magic and 
the DeVos family. It, I mean, if you want to make it political, you can do that. I mean, we're talking about, you know, education secretary and all sorts of other mm-hmm. things. Um, aside from gay rights in this country, aside from any other number of things, uh, which, yeah, I mean, that's that's very real stuff. And Michael and I touched on this a little bit Friday when we talked about Sarver. Um there were some elements of the Sterling stuff that when it came up, I'm sure there were some people that were like, oh, now we care about this. <laughs> right. Because, again, there was a smoking gun aspect to it. Um, and Michael and I talked about this a little bit Friday as well. With Sarver, some of the stuff that was reported in Baxter stories, like you could kind of see that sort of thing happening. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even surprising. You could almost hear Sarver's voice in terms of being able to picture certain aspects of that. Not to say that everything that was alleged in the story is true. I don't know that. I'm not saying that. But, (laughs) I mean, there's a reason that certain owners have a reputation in the NBA. Some of them are just kind of more wild personalities. But, again, these are people that, to some extent, probably feel very entitled. Mm -hmm. Feel like they can say whatever they want to whoever is in the room. Can say whatever they want no matter who's in the room with them and how far away they are or how well they know the people. Uh, and, and in some cases have been sued over some really ugly stuff. And it's very clear where they stand politically, which maybe at one time the idea of being on one side of the aisle versus the other wasn't as problematic as it is when there's someone who's running for office that is very clearly racist to a mm-hmm. lot of people. That it comes off that way that a lot of people in the country feel that way. So, yeah, there is going to be a, a spot where it's... It, I don't know. I don't know where you draw that line. But I think the odd part of it is, is that all of a sudden, if an owner was kicked out, the league would say someone has a problematic history of X, Y, Z and will act as if it's something that was long overdue. But then if it was long overdue, then like, why the hell were they still running a team, owning a team? So there are a lot of aspects. I know exactly what you mean by that. And, Mm -hmm. And I guess what Michael and I said Friday specifically is that I said, the league is very, very liberal. I, th- I think that that's obvious as far as the players. Um, you're dealing with a league that's very international. You're dealing with a league that is mostly black, mostly young men, very young men. Um, but the players are that way. Mm-hmm. Then you have the coaches, a lot of whom are liberal as well. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Um, and then you've got management, and then you've got owners. Yeah. And – it's really interesting to me how so much of the NBA has been able to skate on this idea that the league is so liberal when the people that make it go from Mm -hmm. a money standpoint are not. And I mean, it's it's just clear as day in some examples, even the biggest market with the Knicks, like, uh, I mean, (laughs) Jim Dolan hasn't made it a secret necessarily that he's a Trump supporter. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there are aspects where that shows through sometimes where the idea that every team and maybe this matters, maybe it doesn't to some people. It doesn't to a lot of fans. They don't care. But when every team in the league puts out essentially a statement mm-hmm. regarding George Floyd, uh, and I, I'm sure plenty of them made statements about Jacob Blake and everything else like that. And the Knicks are like the one team that doesn't. <laughs> right. And then it's like, a 10 day process for them to put out one that even when the statement comes out, it doesn't say much. Okay. I mean, it's like, and it's, it. people are needling them about that. I remember yeah. Howard in particular had pointed out, I think that they hadn't put out one and, 
you know, it, it it might not be a big deal to some people. It may be a big deal to some people. Some people feel like it's just performative anyway. Yeah. But the fact that like you you can't or won't even do that, you can't even make a statement saying you condemn racism. The the easiest layup in the world, just uh, we don't I, like I can't racism. Remember what the, yeah. yeah, I can't remember yeah. exactly what the statement eventually said when it yeah. came out like a week or ten days later, whatever it was. But it was like that was something that I imagine from the top down they were told, no, we're not doing that. And it's just again, like it's just a, a mindset and it's a mentality of who owns the team. So I mean, it it is what it is. But like. I, I hear what you're saying, and I agree mm. with you. Like, there's some stuff that to me comes off as problematic. It, yeah. It's not nearly as problematic as like having a completely anti-gay stance yeah. on things. There are levels to it, but I do think that it is interesting that like we, like like we said, if something came up, if there was a smoking gun, the league would then take the stance that yeah, you know, we should have been done yeah. this. Yeah. And it's you know it's not an all of a sudden sort of thing when right. someone's owned a team for twenty five years or whatever. So for it'll sure. it'll be interesting to see what happens, but it'll be interesting to see what happens in this Portland case as well yeah. because um, I don't even know what the yeah. allegations are. So that'll d- dictate a lot of it, I guess. Billionaires, they're not sending their best. You know, they're uh, I guess. Let me put it that way. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening there's no easy way 
to a now transition back to on the court stuff, but obviously there's there's a lot we want to talk about in terms of what's actually happening uh, in the games right now. It's been a, a hell of a start to the season, man. I, I first of all, shout out to Eastern Conference basketball as someone who grew up uh, in the East. Uh, Chris, I mean, I, it's just great to see the revival of this once proud, great, beautiful conference. Uh, lots of great teams up and down, but we're not going to start in the East. No, 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 no. We're going to start <laughs> out West with that play action yeah, fake. That play action fake that got you. <laughs> that boot, that naked boot. I'm Peyton Manning running to the end zone. Um, <laughs> we're actually going to start with probably uh, the, a much more disappointing team. They're currently sitting outside of the playoff picture uh, in the Western Conference, and that's the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, couple bad losses uh, since the last time you've heard this podcast, blowing yet another lead to the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, losing by double digits to a Portland team. Anthony Davis played only seven minutes in that game. Russell Westbrook shot one of 13 from the field. Mm. Uh, LeBron James continues to miss time with a rectus abdominis strain. Uh, Bill Oram at The Athletic did a really interesting report. Uh, He talked to a former uh, Lakers trainer who basically was giving an informed opinion about how long they think LeBron uh, might miss time for? Chris, uh, how do you feel about how this Lakers experience has gone so far? Obviously, it's being pretty heavily tainted by LeBron's injury, but I would say a lot of our worst fears about this team have come through so far. I mean, yeah, and, and it's fine to say tainted by the LeBron injury, which it has been to some extent. You know, maybe they're two or three games better if he's there. Maybe, you know, that's asking for a lot given the problems that exist on this team. But that, we, we got to stop thinking about LeBron as like the, the 30-year-old LeBron, the 28-year-old LeBron that never could get hurt. I mean, clearly, and I, it was interesting because last year when he had the the, the leg injury, when he kind of essentially got tripped and had a really nasty fall and, you know, got kicked in the shin or whatever it was that he had. I can't even remember at this point, but... A lot of people were saying, oh, that was a freak thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe, but there was also a time in LeBron's career where, like, even freak things. He absorbs that and dunks the right. next possession. He was just robotic, and it didn't matter. Uh, you know, I, I still remember the play where he got his nose broken and, like, finished through the contact and had an and one. And it's like, where did they make people like this? This is not – clearly wasn't made in America, this product, uh, <laughs> because – to. Too strong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, too good of a product. So, I mean, there was a time in his career where he could just, you know, blow through anything and it wasn't going to hurt him. Or if it did, it wasn't going to keep him out for more than a game or two. He literally had never missed really more than a week because of any one injury. I think he had that one time where he rested with the Cavs. So, uh, he just took I mean, a two-week break, yeah. Right. The sabbatical, <laughs> yeah. mid-season yeah. sabbatical. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, that that's what we're talking about here is, like, I think we've – you know, whether I don't I never felt like there's going to be one moment where it all just kind of went away. If there was, maybe it was was it the hamstring that he had with this first year with the Lakers where he was just the groin. Out for, yeah, he was just out groin. And, and he kept missing time. People thought he'd come back quick. And right. And and even, you know, once he was ready to, because I think by the time he came back, they only had like a game or two left to spare mm-hmm. as far as, you know, the playoff race. And so that might have been the moment where we really lost him as far as like he's not injury prone anymore. And maybe it's not one massive injury that takes him out. It just might be 
the little aches and pains and the nicks and the and the hard falls that he takes mm-hmm. that now what used to take him 12 minutes to recover from now takes two weeks and you have to be really careful about it. so I don't know but that's just kind of a part of it now but aside from that and aside from Davis who might be even kind of more fragile than LeBron is despite his age difference um I mean man it's it's just even when they're healthy there are so many plays where you watch AD and LeBron run a pick and roll and there's three people guarding those two, and Russ's guy is one of the three. And Russ is just standing there. Um, I mean, I've never heard the phrase like Westbrook Island, but there'd be <laughs> times where Russ is the only one standing on that yeah. thing. Like a whole lot of vacation space there he's, for him. He's, ca- just he's him. Just, you know, the castaway reboot, the revival. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they throw him the basketball, and yeah. that's basically Wilson. Hey, Wilson, hey, Wilson oh. there we go. How about shout, that? Shout out. <laughs> I, I, we, we need to get a sponsorship yeah, we if do. we're going to be shouting them out like that, yeah. especially with the nasty uh, PR they've been taking this yeah, year with the basketball. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's just it, it that doesn't look right. It's a team that looks completely different than I would have guessed. Mm-hmm. I would have thought this is an old team that is going to – Struggle on offense because of the Westbrook stuff, um, and is going to play slowly because they're old. They're a team that actually, if I'm remembering correctly, has been okay on that side of the floor, but has not been the greatest defensively. And they played at the fastest pace in the NBA, which is just like bizarre and backwards to think about, but also seems unsustainable given how yeah. old they are and given how banged up they're going to be. Anthony Davis like can't do anything without getting hurt. Like goes for a rebound, his finger gets jammed. Like you know, seven minutes here. I, I literally I feel like he's fragile every year as far as us being worried that he's gonna get hurt. But I just feel like this year, and maybe it's just because we already know LeBron's missing time, and because we already know they're gonna be like behind the eight ball at times this year with this roster. It just feels it just feels flimsy, and like Le- Carmelo was the best shooter in the NBA for a couple weeks. And you know, you can't rely on that for the whole season. This is a lot of Carmelo Anthony for the Lakers now. Yeah. Another guy that, you know, by the way, came in the league the same year LeBron did. So like, you know, can probably stay healthy. He's been a durable player over his career, but like you aren't asking that much of him. And, and the teams he's played with have never played at paces like this. They, mm-hmm. they just haven't had to do that since he was early in his career. So we'll see, man. I mean, it, it just doesn't feel right. Um, it doesn't – I mean, if LeBron is there, then they'll patch up a lot of this stuff. But you're going to have to wonder and worry, like, how long can he go without getting hurt? Can they play at this pace with him without him getting hurt? Um, and the defense, uh, you know, at some point has to be better mm-hmm. so that you're not forcing a team like that to score as much as they might need to. I was shocked to look up that their defensive rating is actually 13th in the NBA, which is way better than I expected them to be. But it's also a big drop from number one where they finished last year. And that was even with the injuries to LeBron and AD and bringing Andre Drummond to the middle of the season to run the Drummond experiment. So the fact that they finished number one in defense last year to me is a testament to the system that Frank Vogel built and the culture he built with that team. And then it just, he had it all ripped away from him this summer. And I'm really worried for Vogel because he kind of got that like weird fake extension that, where it's like, we'll give I you another know. year. I hated that. And, you know, he's being asked to rejigger this roster for the third year in a row. And I, I think it's 
a significantly worse team than they had at the start of last season. I mean, we could talk about, you know, they underachieved last year, but I mean, that had way more to do with injuries in the roster construction. I think we're looking at the Westbrook trade as like one of the biggest missteps a GM has made in LeBron's career. I mean, I think they're, they, that is, look at how good the Wizards have been. They're seven and three. They're one of the best teams in the East. Uh, all of those guys, Kuzma, Harrell, KCP have been playing incredibly well for them. I mean, how, how desperately could the Lakers use three solid rotation players right now, especially two guys, KCP and Kuzma, who can play really good defense? I mean, that Westbrook trade has the potential to really just derail, I think, the last few years of LeBron's career here. And I don't want to keep piling on Westbrook, uh, but you, one of the justifications you heard for the trade was – they need someone who can give LeBron a break, someone who can handle the ball, someone who can carry the team. If LeBron does get hurt, if he is aging, if he is going to miss three weeks a season, and that's just not been the case. Uh, he has not been able to carry the team like that. He's not that player. Uh, Mike's mentioned this many times on this podcast. The Wizards in Westbrook solo minutes last year were not very good. He needed Beal on the court to be successful. And now, even though he has Anthony Davis, it's just it's not working. I, I I honestly think they need to be in a little bit of panic mode right now. Last year, I kept saying they got, you know, unless LeBron is missing time in the playoffs or AD, which ended up happening, they don't need to be terrified. I think this is different this season. I think they're in panic mode right now. Uh, I don't think getting Trevor Ariza, Taylor Horton Tucker, or Kendrick Nunn back is going to dramatically change the, the floor or ceiling of this team. They are relying so much on Carmelo Anthony for offense in a way that none of his life, like the Blazers did not, the Thunder, even when the Thunder had the quote-unquote big three of Mello, Paul, George, yeah. and Russ, they were not relying on Mello like this. Uh, God, that feels like a lifetime ago. Um, it does. Yeah. But I, I just am, I think that they got to be in a little bit of panic mode right now. I don't see the answers uh, for this team on this roster. And I'm worried for Frank Vogel because I think it's going to be very easy to make him the scapegoat. When I think the front office – I, I don't know how you justify that Westbrook trade when you see how good the Wizards have been playing. Uh, I, I just think they completely dropped the ball with the construction of this team in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, there's a larger question to be asked of, of Russ. and I mean, you had a lot of people that probably think a little bit more along the lines that we do as far as utilizing data as part of what we do, a, a pretty decent portion of what we do as far as player evaluation. Um, so Russ went to from Oklahoma City to Houston, and he did that thing. And we watched Chris Paul. Now, granted, you know, I was looking, Houston won more games than Oklahoma City, but not by a ton. I think it was like four or five games. And also Houston had both Russ and James Harden. So I think they were like a 49-win team. Oklahoma City still won like 44 with with just Chris Paul and and obviously Shea was there as well and and Schroeder but still like a team that everybody kind of wrote off not me I remember saying like even when that team just in the offseason I was like Oklahoma City is still probably going to be a playoff team or close to yeah. it no and one thought they they'd were. be that good yeah I don't know that anybody did Chris mm. Paul was one of the best fourth quarter scorers in the league you know it seemed like he kind of took it personally the idea that people were calling him washed and you know, he played a lot of games that season. And so people were like, it was one of those, like, what have I done sort of moments as far as, like, <laughs> yeah. you thought that Russ was going to be 
the guy you traded away still pretty good Chris Paul if he was just healthy. Mm-hmm. So there was that. So like I think people looked at that. They went from talking about Chris Paul's contract being untradeable to then saying maybe Russ's is. Russ sticks there one year, and then obviously everything is being blown up. You send him to D.C. He goes to D.C., and we're all kind of thinking like, okay, so he gets traded for John Wall, who his status is probably along the lines of Russ's except worse because mm-hmm. he's coming off injury. Um, but And we're all kind of looking at ourselves saying like, that doesn't really make Washington much better, does it? It, it? It's probably about a lateral move, maybe a little bit worse, maybe a little bit better, at least a healthier player. He's there. They look like ass to start the year. And that, and I and I as close as I really come to writing people off, I kind of wrote Russ off a little bit by you know, I had statistics laying out that Blake Griffin essentially was one of the quickest eroding players in like NBA history, particularly for someone that was not very old. By mm-hmm. NBA standards, like 31, however old Blake Griffin was last year. Blake, obviously, when he went to Brooklyn, looked different. And, you know, there was a little bit of like, I'm sure he was playing harder. I'm sure he was a little bit more rested. Mm-hmm. His role, his task was easier. Russ, right. on the other hand, was putting up numbers that like looked like, man, this guy might be out of the league in the next couple of years if he's going to play like this. He started going to the basket more. He stopped. He put down the jump shot for a little bit. And they recovered enough, and he looked better and helped get them to the playoffs. Uh, you know, not much in the playoffs, but got them there. Um, so it was interesting because it was one of those things where, again, he looked fine when Beal was there when he decided he was going to play the right way and go to the basket and not settle for jumpers. But still, you know, maybe he was better than John Wall, but, like, it it, it wasn't something that clearly elevated right. Washington. I mean, it got them to the play, and that was about it. Right. So now Washington trades him. We're all stunned that the Lakers even want him, given all the stuff you said about where LeBron's at in his career, given that this is like a championship contending team already with depth. And that's a big part of, you know, it was like AD, LeBron, and then their depth. They're like their three best players Mm -hmm. to me. So then you trade for like a third star in quotation marks. Um, You know, I've said this till the cows come home. He's not a guy that is like a Clay Thompson sort of star along Katie, alongside Katie and Steph or a Ray Allen sort of star mm-hmm. alongside Pierce and KG. He, he can't shoot from out there. So if you leave him open, um, those other two guys make you pay for it. Russ, that's kind of the de- default defense you want to play with him at the three-point line anyways, to leave him open. He's not setting screens. He's not cutting to the basket. And he's not really defending consistently mm-hmm. either. So like... I just didn't understand it from that standpoint. But I say all that to say what you brought up earlier is that now Washington like looks – a lot of people kind of pick them not as a dark horse to win the East, but to like do damage in the East mm-hmm. to some extent because they thought that the depth would serve that team better than Russ would as a second star. And guess what? Like Beal's not even playing that well yet. Right. And they have a really good record, and there's a lot of stuff about their stats so far that looks pretty sustainable. Um so I, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I, I set all that up to say that, like, at some point there's a conversation to be had about Russ that a lot of people have been saying this anyway for a while, that statistically, yeah, he does enough statistically to where he looks really valuable, but I don't know how much he helps you or maybe he's like a floor raiser, but not really a ceiling raiser. Right. And I, but I don't even know what he's doing for your floor at a right. certain point. Like, I think he could potentially kind of break your floor. 
collapse your floor if you've got guys mm-hmm. that need to just kind of hit the next level or help them hit the next level. I don't know that he's doing that with AD and LeBron. He, Certainly not yet. Right. I mean, I'm not the first person to come up with this idea. He, I think he needs to be an overqualified sixth man at this point. I don't know that we can beat, sure. beat around the bush. You look at what Jordan Clarkson and Tyler Hero are doing, you know, coming in off the bench. They, they kind of get going against the backups. But can he be that kind of player if he can't shoot? Here's what I'd say. Now, Harrell is probably the only guy that maybe uh, doesn't qualify for this. We look at the guys they lost from their championship team. Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Alex Caruso. We can't forget about Caruso, who they let, let walk to the Bulls in one of just the all-time you know, financial bonehead decisions. They don't want to pay deep into the tax. You're the LA Lakers. Guess what? You pay as much as it takes. You keep a guy like Caruso. I don't know that there's anyone on the Lakers roster outside of LeBron and AD that I'd rather have than one of those four guys if I'm trying to win a championship this season. And that includes Russ. Um, and Harrell's maybe the only guy because he's playing great right now, but he's kind of a, a regular season, uh, yeah. you know, he's he's like your fifth starter. He's just going to eat up innings, whatever. It's a little bit different. But Caruso, I'd rather have. Uh, our producer shall bring up a great point. Harold was not on the championship team. Um, they, good, good producing, Shelby. Shout out to you. I snuck that in there just to see if you would catch it. And it <laughs> nice turns job, out you are Shelby. listening. Way to go, Shelby. Uh, but, I, yeah, I, I mean, in a playoff series, I want someone like Caruso next to, AD, next to LeBron and AD. I want someone like KCP. I want someone like Kuzma. Uh, you wrote a great piece at the start of the season, but there's just diminishing ret- – like the, the, the Russell Westbrook paradox is – you can't have him as your third option because he can't shoot. But if he's your first option, you're not a championship team. So what is he? I don't know. But uh, the, their team is just a, a kind of a jumbled mess right now. And I, I don't see the improvement coming from with it. I mean, they at least had an identity before. And right. I, I, now their identity is like this team that can take 20-point leads on Oklahoma City and then lose it. Um, you know, I made the comparison <laughs> on Twitter. Um, and it was crazy too, because maybe I'm getting really old. Like I, it's really tough for me to stay awake for these West coast games now. <laughs> so I'll make it through the first three, three and a quarter quarters, you know, maybe the first two, three minutes of the fourth. And I'm like, I got to go to bed because I've got <laughs> early calls to make. I've got right. stuff to grade. I've got a story to try to write. Um, I've got meetings, whatever. And it's like, I don't want to be asleep on those. So let me at least go to bed and I'll, you know, I'll watch the the rest of it tomorrow or I'll catch up on what the final was and then figure out whether it was worth it to watch the last eight minutes. And I did that with the Thunder Lakers game. And I, I tweeted at one point because they had already started to give up that really big lead they took against Oklahoma City and so it already started to feel like deja vu. And so I tweeted something like about how the Lakers they they eat their meals really quickly but then it comes back up <laughs> and then people like pulled the tweet back up after they lost and they're like well you do know the you know uh the regurgitation issues start to come up a lot more once you're you get old and like the <laughs> idea of and the lakers are an old team so whatever it is but yeah i mean it's at this point man it, i just feel like they had an identity before mm-hmm. i don't really know what it is now it's obviously going to be impossible to figure out what it is until you get LeBron back until AD Mm -hmm. is there consistently. 
this will be it, actually it's not because look at how they're playing right now. If AD's not there and it's just LeBron, I don't think this team would make the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if it's, you know, if LeBron's out and it's just going to be AD and Russ, like they're not going to make the play. Like yeah. I think again, you got to figure out how you're going to do it if it's all three of them. But if it's just Russ and it's Russ like becoming half of the equation as one of the the big three and it's just one of those guys out of the picture, I don't trust him in that role. Yeah. Um I don't know. Maybe maybe it could work better in some ways, but I I just don't see it. I just don't want him being and it's crazy because the six man role theoretically should work, second line defenses mm-hmm. and stuff right. like that. But uh, I there's something that scares me about Russ just kind of having complete yeah. control of everything too. The, mm-hmm. to the point that you brought up that I'd mentioned before about the idea of like he's not good enough to be your first your best player. Yeah, uh, maybe against benches he can be, but he turns the ball over so right. much. So who knows? It's, um, I just want to, you know, that scene in Goodwill Hunting where Robin Williams is telling Matt Damon, "It's not your fault." That's me to Frank Vogel right now. I just want to give him a hug. Like it's not. I your don't fault. want that dude. To, I don't want that dude fault. getting fired. I don't Neither want him getting I think, fired. I think Vogel's done a great job, and I, I think he deserves more respect for what he's done with that team, especially last year having the number one defense. Um. He's been great, and uh, shouts to you, Frank. I think you're in a tough spot managing everything you have to manage. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. 
The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. I want to move on to players who are actually playing well. Um, I'm writing about this uh, for Sports Illustrated this week, so I thought it'd be great to also talk about it on the podcast. So, Chris, I want to hear from you. We touched on this. This has been a good season of basketball. Like, there are a lot of good teams. Like, almost every team has been entertaining to watch. I mean, even the Thunder, who uh, we all said were going to be awful coming into the season, have pulled off some crazy comeback wins. Um, and I think the, the great players are playing great. So to that, I want to ask you, Chris, who are, uh, I don't, I, I kind of left this vague. I, I don't know if you got a, just one, three, however many guys you have, but tell me your early season MVP candidates. We're about 10 games, uh, into the league right now. So with the caveat that this is really early, but you know, if you were sure. filling out a, a ballot right now, who are some guys that you want on there? Well, I think my first guy is somebody that everybody has on their list, and I think I would he's probably more of a revelation to me because I make a point to not watch I can't watch summer I, I'm like basketballed out by the time we get to summer league. Oh I so I don't I, I don't watch summer league. I proudly tell people I don't yeah. watch summer league, I don't watch preseason. And know. I don't watch much college aside from yeah. like Michigan. So I you know, which is where I went to school. So um I guess other people knew he was going to be good. Evan Mobley has been so much fun. And um, just, I mean, dominant is a strong word to use, but he's got stretches, man, where people can't get around this dude. Defensively, you know, Cleveland plays a really smart, you know, I've, I made fun of Cleveland in the past for having too many bigs. And <laughs> We've it all still made fun feels of Cleveland like they in do. the past, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, but th- this seems to work because having Jared Allen back there, Gives you some bulk and some heft mm-hmm. to be able to guard the bigger fives and Mobley. You know, you don't really necessarily want him doing that. I think the guy's two hundred fifteen pounds, despite being like mm-hmm. seven feet tall. So like he's too small and too thin to do that. But is still a hell of a object to have to shoot over and to get around and try to throw a pass around. So I mean, he gets his hands on so many passes. Um, has a really soft, you know, touch on his shot. Um, you know, they play basically a 3-2 zone, which is different, but they're already using him in the middle of it, mm-hmm. which is brilliant and, and very smart. So I've just thoroughly enjoyed watching that dude play. Uh, again, like I know a lot of other people have known that, mm-hmm. have noticed that. And obviously that's a big part of their turnaround. Um, you know, maybe we'll get to it later in the show, but horrible news with Sexton mm-hmm. and the idea that maybe he's got something wrong with the meniscus. We don't know how serious he had. It just was tweeted out before we, uh, before we hopped on the air, but Cleveland's been fun. And I think Mobley is a massive, massive, massive part of that. Um, crazy that he had 26 against the Knicks and it wasn't like Rubio went for basically 40. Right. Yeah. So. And Rubio was nuts. So Chris, I'm going to take responsibility for this because this is my fault. I put two questions on this outline that are very close together, which was who have you enjoyed watching, but who are also your MVP candidates. I was going to talk about my MVP candidates right now. Now, maybe Mobley is one for you. Maybe you're ready to to put Mobley in the MVP talk. The fact that he's made made Cleveland fun to watch cannot be <laughs> cannot be disregarded. That is a Herculean effort right there. Yeah. Um, 
But I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw an MVP candidate. Uh, I'm gonna throw two MVP candidates in the mix right now, if you don't mind. Okay, go ahead. All right, number one, and I, I think this is actually a bigger deal than people realize, even though we all thought he was gonna be great coming into this season. But that's Kevin Durant, who yeah. uh, you know, our buddy Mike wrote about him last week. It's a great story, you should check it out, especially what he's doing um from the mid-range, but I don't even remember pre-Achilles Kevin Durant feeling as unfair as he feels this season. I don't know. I'm I, like, I don't know who can guard him. I, in my mind, you need someone like Giannis, but you saw Giannis, you know, he didn't want to take on that one-on-one assignment and kind of mess up their team defense in that series. And I do think Giannis is better as a help defender than a one-on-one defender as crazy as it sounds. But I mean, you look at all the great defenders in this, in this league, whether it's Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, uh, LeBron, when he's really, really trying. I just don't know that they have the height to guard this guy. And right now he's rising up and shooting above everyone. Uh, he's leading the league in scoring. I, we all thought he – I think we all had hope, wishful thinking, that he would be this good after the Achilles tear. But – uh, to me, it's I'm kind of blown away because it feels like he is at the height of his powers. And granted, I think being at Golden State, playing in that offense, playing with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, kind of muted him to a degree, which was you know a fear all of us had. But I, Chris, he's been really, really blowing me away. And we had him at number one on our top 100. I think you were the only one who put Giannis there, but we all agreed that he, they were kind of a one A one B situation. Um, it's not like I, I believe you had him at number two, so it's not like you're shocked about this, but he's been number one in a way that I even I didn't expect how great he's been to start this season. Yeah, it's kind of hard to – I mean, Giannis has been fantastic too, so mm-hmm. it's not to take away from him. But, it, you know, I, I was the one guy that voted Giannis one, and I think there was a little bit of a championship boost that I gave him, you know, to put him in that spot. But Durant, I mean, I think you, you raised the best point by saying that you don't even remember pre Achilles Durant being this dominant and this, this hard to stop. Uh, I mean, it was really interesting matchup even yesterday watching Toronto try to kind of go at Durant Mm -hmm. because I mean, Toronto has maybe more Durant stopper type guys, not necessarily one guy that can or one guy that does or one guy that has a history of it, but they've got like seven Durant sized guys that you could at least throw on him to try to stop him. And it just, uh, I've made this analogy before, but it's like one of those Michael Jackson videos where he's got all these goons and then he just kind of kicks him <laughs> in the face and does that tee-hee little noise. Like <laughs> Durant very much disposes of defenders in a in a sort of way where I think, what did he have yesterday, 31 on like 18 yeah. shots? It's just, I mean, it's disgusting. Like I don't really know what you're supposed to do with that. But also Kyrie has not played a minute. And Harden, you know, essentially is like Samson after a haircut, um, <laughs> you know, with the with the free throw issue. Now, granted, Harden played well yesterday, but I mean, he he really is twenty five percent of his offense has basically been yeah. thrown out the window with these calls and the way that they're being called, and 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 in some cases, like he's clearly being fouled, and I think the league is just really regressing all the way to the mean with basically what they feel like he should be getting free throw wise. And they're going to have to kind of adjust that a little bit and maybe be a little bit more lenient with this calls. But um, I mean, Durant hasn't rendered it meaningless or moot as far as those problems, but for what they looked like at the very beginning of the season to now, 
they're a hard offense to guard still, even with those problems. And Durant is the key reason why. And I mean, they still could easily finish with the top seed, yeah. which would be saying a lot given yeah. what they're missing and given how the season started. They started slow, but I mean, they've they've quickly gotten up to seven and three. I want to I want to hop back to our favorite players we've been watching in a second because okay. there's a lot of guys I want to mention. But I, let me give you kind of my fake MVP ballot right now, and you okay. just tell me kind of your immediate reaction to it. So I have Durant number one. Okay. I gotta have my homer pick Jimmy Butler at number two. I'm putting Steph Curry at three. Gobert at four. There's a lot of Gobert disrespect on this podcast. I'm gonna put Gobert at four. Okay. And then just to just to give him a shout, because the Jazz continue to be a great regular season team. Um, and he continues to bring it on the defensive end, although they went on a huge comeback against the Heat with Gobert off the floor, which was kind of funny to watch. And then number five, I'm gonna put John Morant. That, I think that's kind of my working top five right uh, now. I, okay. I think he deserves the, the Grizzlies have kind of cooled off a little bit, him too, scoring wise yeah. since the start of the year. But I think he can pick it back up. Tell me what you think of that. Uh, uh, it's interesting. Um, <laughs> I would have to I would have to delve into some of the advanced numbers a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. Ja has looked the part. I'll give yeah. him that. Um, I saw a stat yesterday and actually prompted me to tweak my. Uh, Prompted me to tweak my power rankings a little mm-hmm. bit this week because I think I saw something about how the Grizzlies and maybe one other team were like the only two teams that had a 500 record or better with like a negative net rating. Mm. And their net rating is like really off. So I don't know. <laughs> they've had a really nice start to the season, obviously, and they've won some games that I don't think people thought that they would get. But if, if they're primed for like a regression, that doesn't mean it should be on Jaws. Mm-hmm expense at his expense but no i mean those are all names that make sense to me um you want me to give you mine i didn't really order mine at all that's okay that's totally cool good no that's totally cool um so i i had some overlap i obviously had kd and jimmy on my list i mm-hmm. think jimmy it's weird because like you can see the it's very much like you know jimmy's always been for his career you can see the impact he's making but it's not like i think it would probably be a little bit difficult to make a statistical case right uh his numbers are pretty much in line with what they've mm-hmm. always been. A little bit higher here, a little bit yeah, higher the there. The efficiency's been uh, really good. Right. The efficiency's been crazy in part because he's just taking so many fewer threes, which mm-hmm. is something that he struggles at a little bit. He's not getting to the line at a crazy, crazy rate for him. He's always been good at that. Um, and he's been, you know, I'm still like a, a bit of a menace on defense, which is what he's always been. So I, I think for him, if he's getting it at this stage, it's because the team is doing so well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which he, I also he, think that his case is kind of like best player on one of the best seeds argument. Sure. And that's right. fine. I have no problem with that, especially if they're going to finish with the best or second best record mm-hmm. in the league. If that happens, I feel like you're going to be looking for someone from that team to push. Right. So he'd be on my list. So that him and Katie, um, I had Jokic on my list. Yo, I um, like that. So, I mean, I picked him as my repeat guy before the season. So, I like that you have Jokic on there. Okay, top yeah. And it's it's it, it, it's weird because I, I wrote – I think I was probably one of the, the first people in the media to really write up a case for him mm-hmm. last year. That's right. It was still at that awkward time where, you know, people were saying Embiid should be the MVP or LeBron should be the MVP. And then both of those two guys got hurt. And so everybody was like, oh, I guess Jokic then fine. And it was like, no, it's not mm-hmm. the sort of case he's putting together. Like he's just legitimately maybe more dominant than mm-hmm. everybody else. And I I would have said like by far at the time he was ahead of everybody by mm-hmm. so much because of the games he played and how many games he played in. 
and also just like how depleted his team was that Jamal Murray had either missed time or in some cases he was playing, mm-hmm. but he was playing like ass for the first part of the season. Yeah. And um, Michael Porter missed, I think, 10 games or whatever it was with, mm-hmm. with COVID or whatever. So like the two guys that you were really going to lean on, and then Will Barton, uh, I can't remember when he started missing yeah, time. Yeah, late but in the like, year. He was out, yeah. Jokic had no help on that team, basically, for a long time. And Truly a platinum with no features situation. Yeah, <laughs> He was averaging a triple-double for the first 15 games of the mm. year just to keep them in it, keep them around 500, and then took off once the team started to get a little bit more healthy. And so he kind of looks like he's doing the same thing now, except mm. there's literally no Murray at yeah. all. Um, like his numbers are still insane. Um, he's le- last year he was leading them in most categories. Yeah. There was a, a tweet that somebody every put out there this weekend. <laughs> yeah. He's leading them in every single category, which I think someone was saying has never yeah. either hasn't been done in Nuggets history or hasn't been done in like recent NBA history at all, which like isn't a good thing because I yeah. think that Michael Malone went into the year saying he wanted to find a way mm-hmm. to get Jokic more rest, and it's like they're leaning on him yeah. even more heavily because Porter's been really bad. Yeah, I mean, to start this plus season. minus is ridiculous. Their bench is awful. I mean, their bench comes mm-hmm. in and blows any lead that he's built up. The pressure on him yeah. is really insane. That's a good, that's a really good one to have. So I'll, I'll pick him even though I know the team's record isn't mm-hmm. there, but it really wasn't this time right. last year either. Um, so him, and then the other guys I had on my list were, um, Giannis and Steph. Mm. Um, not again, this isn't in any particular right. order, but I mean, the Warriors have the best record in the league. Steph is another one of those cases where, like, statistically, he's had better years than this. But if the Warriors are anywhere near first place, mm-hmm. it, particularly if they're in first place, I think there's going to be a big push for him yeah. uh, to win the award. And I think he'll deserve it, you know, if, if they do mm-hmm. that. And this is without them even having Clay back yet. Yeah. So they've also been really good on defense, which yeah. I think helps the case, too, where he may not need to score as much, uh, depending on what pace they're playing at or anything like that. So. Him and then Giannis statistically is not terribly yeah, far I mean, off from I mean, what Giannis he's done each of the last three years. It's just the Bucks not Team looking success, great. But, yeah, and the injuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's you know they've been really banged up, and Giannis has had to do more of it by himself. But I, I mean, this is kind of how the case started last year mm-hmm. too, where like everybody wrote him off, and statistically he's pretty much become a metronome the last couple of years statistically so yeah. he, he's going to be there in that conversation it's more a question of whether or not there's fatigue exactly from that standpoint of him always being in that conversation in the he box set the bar so high for they, himself and their team did yeah yeah so we'll see but it, those are the guys i'd have go bear yeah. i think is an interesting one where he's always going to be in that <laughs> i'm analytics always killing the jazz yeah exactly so that's why he's near the bottom of my ballot my name is ariel i moved to the u.s at 19. i spoke no english and i struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast. To start listening. Can you settle a debate for me, actually? A settle a sure. debate that Mike and I had. Um, which team do you think is more dangerous, the Warriors or the Jazz? Um, I, I, I think it's probably the Warriors, but only because, I mean, I picked the Jazz to win the whole thing. So, or not to win it, but to get there to the finals. I don't know who I picked mm-hmm. to win. I can't even remember. I think I said the Bucks I'd pick to win. Um, I'll say the Warriors are more dangerous just because I kind of feel like there might be this thought process that the Warriors are going to have some younger guys in their rotation. The Warriors are going to have some guys that haven't been there before, even Wiggins mm-hmm. and people like that. Um, the Warriors are going to take time to kind of get back on track as far as like reincorporating Clay. If Clay's not there, do you still believe in them to win the whole thing? You know, how real is Poole going to be on that stage? So I, I, I think they aren't going to come out of nowhere and surprise people, but I also think their, their game-to-game plan, you can go in with a plan to stop Steph, but Steph can blow it up mm-hmm. by just going around screens or just being in perpetual mm-hmm. motion for a game, whereas I think you know pretty much what you're getting from the Jazz. Okay. Uh, you know, so I, I, I'll say the Warriors just because I think they have more ways and, like, you can game plan for them all day mm-hmm. long and still not really have it. And I think I'm also probably saying that because Orlando just beat the Jazz yesterday. <laughs> so Okay, so I was I'm, right. I'm going to say the Warriors. I was right, and Michael was wrong. Uh, not surprising. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take the team that's already number one in the conference without his second best player is more dangerous. Um, all right, Chris, you mentioned Evan Mobley earlier as a guy you really enjoyed watching. I, I want to wrap up this podcast just talking about some of the players we, we've loved to see this season. I mean, Mobley was a great pick. Uh, he's already getting those KG comparisons on defense. Uh, Crazy. He's been outstanding. Um, I want to throw in another guy into the mix here. He's someone who I tweeted about this the other day. I don't have a lot of regrets about our top 100 list, but this is a guy who I think I wish I had put higher and wish we had ranked higher ultimately, and that's Donovan Mitchell. I know I just threw Rudy Gobert on my ballot, but I think Mitchell has been really good the last few games, and he's really started to come on strong. 
he's just one of those guys. And, you know, we've talked about this a million times when we talk about our list, but I mean, you switch him with Devin Booker, you switch him with Trey Young. Uh, I'm just curious what those teams would look like because he's just been so good, I think, to start this year. And sometimes he just has those moments where, he, I mean, he Jimmy Butler was guarding him in that Heat Jazz game Saturday night, which is a really good game, and two teams that like, clearly cared a lot about winning, and you don't get that usually this early in the regular season. Like, Jimmy took the Donovan assignment from the jump, and Mitchell was not scared. Uh, he'd drive it, bam, on the rim, finish uh, through contact uh, over big men, pulling up for threes. Uh, he just, man, he's been really, really good. And sometimes I wonder if he's even a little underappreciated. He might be. It, it's funny. Like we were putting these lists together. I mean, I, like I said, I picked the jazz to, mm-hmm. to get to the finals. You know, I, I've, I've said that I think they should be favored out of the West mm-hmm. uh, just because I, you know, I haven't been a big believer in the Lakers this year. Um, you know, I didn't have a reason to not necessarily pick the Suns, but to me, it's just kind of like the Jazz. I think a lot of teams, a lot of times when teams hang around, uh, particularly when they're like a one seed from the year before, they tend to kind of get disrespected in that conversation. Quite frankly, I think that's happened with the Sixers this year too. Like it's bizarre to me that the Sixers just aren't playing on Christmas. Mm. I was venting about that Friday. I vented right. about it before when the schedule came out. And I think the same thing happens where there gets to be a fatigue with that too, where like if you keep essentially getting on the pot and then not letting anything go <laughs> that people are like, all right, you're just kind of messing with me. So screw it. Um, I mean, the jazz, are, it's not easy to be the number one seed in any conference, let alone that one. Uh, so I feel like I'm like looking for a reason to kind of propel someone into that conversation. Realistically, I know Gobert is probably not. I, if you told me he's never going to finish top three, on an MVP ballot, I would believe you just because I kind of feel of like right. the line is drawn in the sand with how people feel mm-hmm. about him. He is an incredibly valuable player in a way that's not the most traditional. Um, people make fun of the screen assists and everything else and the screening numbers. They make fun of the you know the points well, saved well, let's, and everything let's else. Let's just say this. People don't make fun of the screen assists. They make fun of that one dude who tweeted, he had a triple-double if you include screen assists which was one of the most unhinged NBA tweets of all time. I have a DM thread with Andrew Sharp that's just me sending him bad NBA stats. And usually it's like, so-and-so is the first player since 2010-11 to shoot over 60% on Sunday. It's like, usually it's tweets like that. But the screen assist one was in its own Hall of Fame, bad NBA stats (laughs) tweets. All right. Well, but I, I feel like you do have that wing of, basketball covers that like when you look through all our fancy stats he leads all of them and so i get that Mm -hmm. there's going to be an urge for certain people to see him actually get votes for mvp and i think that there's always going to be this conversation about people say it almost like determines your personality or the way you watch basketball Mm -hmm. who's the jazz's you know best player jazz jazz. yeah the best player and is your answer Gobert or is it Donovan Mitchell and like it could go either way and like I I try to be down the middle on that one Mm because I'm like I don't feel like having this argument with you (laughs) right um but I mean it's it's essentially that Mitchell you need to have a player like Mitchell for the playoffs um and you need to have a defender like Gobert who I think probably does help you more in the regular season but you also want somebody like him in the playoffs too so Mitchell I I feel like he's the he could be your go-between for something like that where like 
I don't think Gobert's ever going to win an MVP, but if it reaches a point where the Jazz win 68 games in a season, which I don't think this will be that year, but if they ever do that, people are going to say, okay, well, they're winning so much more than everybody else. Nobody else is having such a runaway season, so we got to pick someone from that team. Mm-hmm. He would be the guy, but I always struggle whenever I look at his numbers. Right. Because the numbers always look kind of the same as the year before. He's a volume shooter that is not the most efficient guy. Mm-hmm. But he also pops when you watch him on, yeah. in games. That's and the thing. So he just he does is have fun moments, to watch. He's also just really fun to watch. Like He's really fun yeah. to watch. He's really good. At, hell, I like watching the dude's brother, too. Yeah. I like watching them play against each other. Yeah. It's just a fun player. But, like, yeah, for me, it's tough because I can never really slot him into, like, a top five. And I felt like you were starting to see his name last season because the Jazz were. Right, right. They weren't running away with the one seed, but they were going to win the one seed. And it was like, uh, we don't really want to pick. Jokic and I don't really want to have to be forced to watch Denver and act like I do so let me you know Donovan Mitchell's like a flashy scorer from the Jazz I'll pick him like that that there was starting to be some of that conversation on the first take sort of shows and I'm like y'all don't really think he's the MVP either like let's be honest and and I I I didn't so yeah um so I I, it's tough for me I I don't know that I would put either guy in the top five but I I recognize the idea that some people are going to think that they deserve there just based on how well Utah's been playing the last couple years so we, I think we're really close to running out of time here, Chris. But I wanted to. We, I know that we both had you know a few players. So just give me a couple more guys sure. that you really enjoyed watching. Uh, so I'll, far. Get, I'll go through quick ones. There I've got go. one player, and then I've got like a trio of players okay. that are all from the same team. That there I'll we give go. You. Uh, Furkan Korkmaz has been like not a name I thought I would ever spend real time talking about on this <laughs> podcast ever. But I saw a stat yesterday. This is actually one of my former students, Lauren Rosen, who uh, writes for the Sixers site. And she said that this man is second in the NBA in fourth quarter scoring behind DeMar DeRozan only. <laughs> like, what? Like, yeah, the Sixers have been good. Six-game winning streak. And, yeah, they. I think they got a closing group with Korkmaz in there. C- completely insane. He's been handling the ball a decent amount more mm-hmm. this year, like basically twice as much as he did last year. His assist rate is way up. He's not that far off from like 50, 40, 90, which again, it's obviously really early. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just kind of insane. Like I didn't think that he had as many of the ball handling chops as he does, mm-hmm. uh, which helps them in a year where they're trying to figure yeah. out how to move on from Simmons. Obviously other guys, Seth Curry has been amazing for mm-hmm. them. But, uh, you know, and I think that they've won every game that Maxie's played in. Mm-hmm. Uh, or no, I'm sorry, Shake Milton has played in. Um, so other guys have thrived, you know, handling the ball as well. But that one is one I did not see coming. He's been in the league for a while. He was there. I think he was there during the process. Yeah. He's one of the only other guys they've had that they still have uh, from that period. So it's it's been really interesting to see that happen. I did not yeah. see it happening. So he's one. You want me to give you the other? Or yeah, you want to no, hop go ahead, right go ahead. The other is a trio of guys from the Orlando Magic. Yes. Uh, so Cole Anthony, uh, Mo Bamba, and Wendell Carter uh, all have made like yeah. massive jumps. Just go ahead and throw Franz Wagner in there too. Yeah, I mean yeah. Wagner's my guy yeah. as far as like That's being right. from Michigan. And I did not expect all this from him. So I mean, you could throw him yeah. in there easily. And it's funny that you throw him in there because I'll give you this one. Um. You take that. You take their starting lineup. Don't they? Which they've had. They might have the best starting five in the league, net rating wise. Bing bong. Yeah. <laughs> Plus eighteen point one per one hundred possessions in one hundred twenty five minutes, which is the best 
in the NBA for Nuts. any lineup that has played more than 50 minutes. Nuts. Which tells you that how ass <laughs> their bench the must bench, be. Yeah. That oh, they're man. winning by 18 per 100 possessions and that they still are only yeah. whatever they are. Was it three and seven at yeah. this point? Um, or, or no, I just said that they played 11 games. Mm. So, I mean, they're bad, but their starting five plays really hard. They're all shooting well. All of them can shoot. The Wendell Carter that we're seeing is like, this is the version that Bulls fans wanted mm. to see. Mobamba is playing way better. And Cole Anthony, who looked real, real, real rough yeah. as a rookie, just went off. I mean, he he was a game time decision, and then went off for like thirty three against Utah yeah. yesterday. All interview um, first just team, hitting everything. Yeah, all interview first team. Cole Anthony, uh, <laughs> facts. Mo Bamba wants that second contract. Franz Wagner wants the smoke. He's mixing it up. Uh, the Magic are fun. Uh, those are all great picks. Um, I'll throw a few more players into the mix myself. Uh, how about Lonzo Ball? Like you know, the Bulls they were this source of consternation during the offseason after they got signed DeMar, and I think people kind of forgot about, like, Lonzo has turned himself into such a good player. He's a great floor spacer, and he just, he gives you, like, a rhythm. He just gives you, like, a fun... I love guys like him on offense who kind of stay out of the way but make you go at the same time. I mean, he's such an overqualified glue guy, and I'm just going to say, he does all of it with the big fro. That, to me, is always, I want to see that. <laughs> I want to see that when I'm watching basketball. It's just cool. I don't know what else you want me to say. It just is objectively very cool. As someone who loved uh, NBA Street Volume 2, like, yeah, I'm pro-fro. Uh, so, I, great to see um, Lonzo Ball out there. I, I think he's been been really, really killing it. Uh, another thing I want to mention is just Paul George. The Clippers have had such a yeah. weird season. Yeah. Whew. And I think he's just, he's at like something like 28, 7, and 5 right now or something. His stats are ridiculous. And, you know, the Clippers, I think they started off with those first couple games. You're like, this team looks like they could be really good. They lost a bunch in a row. And I think now they're back up around 500. And mm-hmm. he's just been kind of spectacular, a, a number one option in the way that every team wants their superstar number one option to be. I still am unclear what this team's ceiling is. They've been so up and down, uh, but they're on a little bit of a a hot streak lately. But Paul George, man, I I just think that he is – he's flying under the radar right now because he's been kind of every every bit as good as kind of uh, the great players in the league. I think he's been awesome. He's been really fun to watch. He has a nasty stretch like this every year, like for like the last four or five years at least, maybe longer. Um and then it's it, it sometimes it, there's always that period in the playoffs mm-hmm. where you're like ah but i i i don't know like it's so weird that so many people kind of feel like they could go to the finals anyway with mm-hmm. this roster certainly you feel better about it if Kawhi is back you know like what is their ceiling what is their floor will they make the playoffs if Kawhi doesn't come back um so for me i, I maybe just because i'm i'm trying to be in fun mode this year mm-hmm. and i'm sitting there watching a lot of Houston and a lot yeah. of Orlando and a lot of Cleveland um I'm I'm fine with it if the Clippers are just fun, but yeah. it's really fun to watch Paul George's ball out. He's I think he's leading the league in defensive win shares as well. Oh, wow. Um like I mean he's he's doing yeah. it on both ends, which he always does, but it's yeah. uh it's been really it, it's I, I also think I've just become a fan of watching guys have to be in a spot where they have to do it on their own. Like yeah. Steph, it's really fun yes, yes. to watch it's that. Fun. I mean I would love for yeah, Clay to be great. there. But right. it's really entertaining when KD, these guys have it on their the shoulders. The irony of KD's career to go from the Warrior situation <laughs> to the Nets one, and now he's the the Harden's not Harden, Kyrie's not even there. Um, he's been awesome. Can I throw one more curveball at you? 
Sure. It's not a player. It's a coach. It's Nick Nurse, who's just in his bag in Toronto right now, throwing out these funky lineups, like letting Precious Achua dribble. Um, (laughs) They've just been – they also, after a slow start to the season, really turned it on. They have a great lineup going. Uh, They have so much kind of – I love the way they've built the team and that I think it's like perfect for the modern NBA, their length on the wing and their switchability, et cetera. Uh, they've been really fun to watch. Van Vliet, Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, man. What a steal Scotty Barnes has been. Uh, how much better does that pick look for right now? At right. least, and it's weird. We were talking about how, how good Orlando's starting lineup is. The only guy that's not performing well is Suggs, but Suggs is like rough. Like <laughs> yeah, they're plus yeah. 18 per 100 possessions with him shooting like 30 some percent. Right. Um, and meanwhile, you know, Scotty Barnes now, again, he did get his lunch taken from him yesterday by Durant and everything, but a lot of guys are going to go through that, but he yeah. looks the part. He certainly looks the part and he fits that team like a glove with all the length they've got. So yeah, that that's a big one. And they don't even have Siakam yet. I think once they get Siakam back, they have a chance to be really, really good. I, I'm, they got him back yesterday. Oh, he played yesterday. Oh man. I still need to catch up First on game yesterday's back. games. Um, yeah. uh, we're talking about great lineups, man. I completely missed those games yesterday. I gotta, I gotta catch up on, uh, Siakam's debut, but we talk about great lineups. I'm looking at my phone because I want to bring this up. Van Vliet, Ananobi, Trent, Achua, and Barnes, 13.6 net rating in 125 minutes. Um, I, I think they're right up there with the Magic in terms of great lineups. Yeah, yep. now that now that Siakam's back, I think that they, um, they're going to be they're interesting. Fun, man. Yeah. I, I, I said this to Michael a little bit Friday. Like, and I, I don't even think we said it on the pod, but I wish – there's certain things I wish I, I I never like published my predictions anywhere as far as like where I think teams will be seated, but mm-hmm. I was I, I was really loud about it on this podcast and I was really loud about it in some of the stories I wrote. I really felt good about the Bulls. I really felt pretty good about the Knicks, and it's like I know they've struggled a little bit mm-hmm. lately, but them. I think most people felt pretty good about the Wizards. I wasn't as high on them, but I felt like they would potentially mm-hmm. make the playoffs. And I my dark horse for just a team that like people were counting out that I thought would be really good this year was Toronto. And I, I like, I didn't really put my foot all the way down with any of these, maybe mm. other than Chicago, but I wish I had because most of them look really, yeah. really smart. Um, I remember at one point, you know, yeah, go way back. I told Mike, I was like, man, we'll have to see if Boston can make the playoffs. And, and Michael was <laughs> like, what? So that might've been a little strong, yeah. but like maybe something in my mind was telling me yeah. that like, you know, maybe maybe Tatum and Brown are going to be shooting too much, and Marcus Smart yeah. is going to call well, them maybe, out. Maybe but I should have just yeah. stuck to my guns. Yeah, maybe the maybe the Celts can turn around if they trade for uh, Ben Simmons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris, I think that'll do it for us today. We I think we really uh, we really just kind of burned this candle on both ends here. This was a great pod. Uh, thank you so much uh, to our listeners for joining us on this journey, Chris. It was a lot of fun to hang with you, my man. Uh, to all our listeners, continue to stay safe. Uh, Michael is just on assignment today. Don't worry, he's fine. Uh, I think he he needed some personal time uh, after seeing those rumors this morning. But uh, he will be back uh, later this week. Make sure those emails keep coming in at openfloormail at gmail.com. We'll talk to you soon.
With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.